Hi, this is Charles Linden. Every day I go for a walk. It might be 30 minutes if I haven't got much time, or maybe an hour if I've got a little bit more time to go out and think and, and consider how I'm going to go into my day and understand how I'm going to structure my day and structure my time to be most effective in, in so many ways, both you know as a parent um, and as a, as a husband, but also um, within my work practice so that I can maximize the benefit of the time that I have and maximize the benefit of the knowledge that I have to help people who suffered like I once did. And yesterday I was on a walk um, out in the countryside and I'm actually in Spain at the moment. Um, so I had some more time to, to really consider and think about what I, what I wanted to do to, to help sufferers. And I'm working on lots of ideas at the moment. So there are lots of things happening within the work, uh, within my work. Um, my wife and I are planning to, to expand what we do and to make it more available to people. So I need some time to really think and structure how I was going to um, work over the next few weeks to, to make that happen. And um, I suddenly thought, you know, I haven't really... There, there are pages on the internet sites that we've got that... that um, describe what it is that I do and describe a little bit about my story and a bit about how I, uh, what I experienced through my life to, to lead me to this really. Um, and I thought maybe it's time to do a recording for, um, for my podcast that would, would explain to sufferers like you um, exactly what I went through and, and to explain um, how I felt on a daily basis when I woke um, and, to, and for you to understand really where I'm coming from. Um, so I thought I'd give you a little potted history and, and maybe in this story you will find, um, you will understand that uh, I was you once. You may find some solace and some um, inspiration in what I say, but hopefully you get some reassurance and some relief from what I say when I tell you, um, you know, my own experiences and my experiences then going on to help the, the tens of thousands of people that we've helped both as an organisation but also the people I've helped directly through through my private practice. So here's a little potted history of, of how I experienced anxiety. Um, and I'm not going to go into great detail about my, my childhood because I'm in really childhood anxiety, mostly manifested in me especially and in most of the clients that I've helped, the young clients, as a form of separation anxiety um, with a patchwork of uh, moments of panic, moments of obsessions and compulsions, moments of um, desperation, feeling alone, feeling isolated, not understanding the, the feelings I was experiencing within my body, but more than that, not understanding the thoughts and, and feeling, not really understanding that, that nobody else felt this way and believing that other people did feel this way and that I, I wasn't alone and that other young people were experiencing the, um, the sadness and the desperation and the isolation that I was experiencing. And hindsight is a good thing and looking back I realise now that um, what I was experiencing wasn't at all normal um, by, um, you know, by general standards of, of humanity. So if you look at humanity as a the whole, there are probably 25% of kids that do have a predisposition to developing a high anxiety condition. And so I was one of those 25 kids. And, and in my class, I, I may be one of two that experienced anxiety. So I was pretty isolated and I did feel, um, you know, that, that I didn't belong all the time and you know on field trips at school or maybe uh, sports trips or those times when I was removed from my my places or people of safety I did feel different and I did feel um, you know extremely vulnerable and and weak 
and like I really didn't belong in that group. But I mean, enough said about childhood because I think I could go on and on about the nightmares and the feelings and the and the racing heart and the crying and the uh, and all, all of the stuff that accompanied my my high anxiety state. Um, suffice it to say, when I was about thirteen, I, it became chronic, and um, my mum took me to the doctors um, because I vocalised that I just couldn't carry on, and and I was medicated, and it didn't help, of course. Um, but you know, all the way through my teens, I. I experienced high anxiety states and it made things very difficult. It made socialising difficult. It made my first girlfriend very difficult. It, it was, you know, I felt very overwhelmed by the physical sensations that I experienced when I was, um, you know, when I was trying to be intimate or loving or caring. And I felt, you know, sometimes I felt that I couldn't love because the, the anxiety was so overwhelming. And I couldn't concentrate at school and it, it was just awful. But I got through it. I got through it. And aged 18, I decided to go and live in Germany. And when I was 19, just, just after my 19th birthday, uh, I moved to Germany. I think in an attempt to run away from it to an extent, but certainly to run away from the, the environment that I felt was contributing to it. I felt heavily under pressure to perform and, and to be academically, um, to have academic ability and to, and to show my parents that I was capable, but I felt totally incapable. I felt like my body and my mind weren't capable of, um, of sensible thought, of, of logical, linear thought, and that I couldn't focus and I couldn't, um, I couldn't be the person they wanted me to be. I was artistic and creative, but I couldn't even apply that because every time I tried to apply um, my, my intellect to something, um, my anxiety would drag it away and I would feel overwhelmed by the sensations, but also overwhelmed by the thoughts and the, um, the sort of catastrophic thoughts about my mortality. And a lot of my anxiety focused on, on health anxiety, so I was totally focused on anything that I experienced in my body, whether it was a pain or a sensation, or whether it was something that appeared on my skin, or maybe I'd look into my eyes and I'd look tired and suddenly I would start somatizing that I was chronically ill. And this was um, made worse by the fact that my dad um, had had some issues with his heart in my when I was in my late teens, and my granddad had two. So I was cr constantly thinking that maybe there was something wrong with my heart. Um, and then I'd think, you know, the tingling in my arm when I woke in the morning, my initial thought was that it was, you know, MS or, or something catastrophic like that. And of course it never was. But, but ultimately my mind was looking for risk and finding risk in absolutely everything around me. Every morning I would wake up, and this was whether I was in Germany or back home a few years later, um, the, ice, the feeling of isolation never stopped because the sensations and the thoughts and the feelings that are associated with my high anxiety state never stopped. So every morning I'd wake up and as soon as my body became conscious again, I would catastrophize, I would focus again on uh, how to get through the day safely, how, how, how to feel, uh, how to, to minimize my anxiety or how to not expose myself to those things that made me more anxious. So I would plan my day around, um, uh, around trying to avoid people and places and movements that would, that would potentially cause me more risk. Um, the panic attacks came thick and fast. There were times when it was one a day. There were times when it was twice a week or three times a week. But there were times when it was eight or ten a day. And, it was, and, and in those times, it was, it was just overwhelming. And I, felt, I really felt like I was falling apart. And I, I isolated myself, um, both mentally and physically. And all I did was focus on how to get through the day. 
there were medications I was given, like diazepam and, and um, zispin and, um, and siroxat and, and, and all these different medications that are designed, well, <laughs> were never designed to help people with anxiety, but have been used by medicine to, to, to subdue anxiety, if you like. Um, but they didn't help. The, the side effects were awful. I'd have buzzing in my head or weight gain or dizziness or unsteadiness or, you know, it would affect my digestion. And so I knew that they weren't helping, but ultimately I either took them or I didn't take them. If I didn't take them, it was because I was frightened. I was frightened of what they might do to me and, and frightened of, of, of the fact that I couldn't get them out of me once they were in me. Um, and if I did take them, it was out of desperation, hoping that one day something would happen that would just stop it all. Um, my, my obsessive thoughts and my, and my um, catastrophic thought processes led me to have all sorts of strange and almost catastrophic feelings and thoughts around, um, you know, uh, aggression and sex and um, homosexuality and all these things, all completely inappropriate, all completely... Uh, and, and, I mean, every, nearly every sufferer I've, I've, I've spoken to has these thoughts. Um, they call them puro. And mostly they were, you know, what if I do this, what if I do that... But they were all risk assessments. And I understand that now. Um, part of the anxiety response. But they plagued me for years. And the physical sensations, um, for me, were, were overwhelming. Um, and the feelings of desperation, the focuses on, on dying and, and, and not being here, and um, existentialist-type thoughts about, you know, what, what's this all about? Am I really here? What's the universe about? You know, what, what's our position in the universe? Who are we? Are we just animals or are we advanced beings? And things that were just craziness. And of course these caused, and in some people, some people don't have these. Some people do. And in that I had agoraphobia. So I'd be frightened of leaving a place or person of safety. I wouldn't drive anywhere. You know, I was, I, I focused on, on, um, on what would happen if, if I was perhaps alone somewhere in a car or um, alone somewhere and nobody knew me and I was away from a place of safety. I was always calculating where the nearest medical um, station was or hospital or, or doctor, um, trying not to be away from people that could potentially save me if something happened to me. But of course, these are the thoughts that all anxiety sufferers have, but nothing ever happens. So as I went into my 20s, I decided to move back from Germany um, when I was about 24 to, to the UK. Um, and it was at that point that I, I really realised that I had to do something to radically change the way I was. And at that point, I was, I was heavily medicated. I was seeing a variety of doctors. I'd been to immunologists. I'd been to um, psychotherapists. I'd been to psychologists. I'd been to psychiatrists. Conflicting advice all the time. Of course, I'd had the, the standard CBT treatment that most sufferers have. Now, knowing what I know about CBT, I understand why it didn't help me. Um, you know, the science is so flawed and... and, and you know, in, in, the, in all the years that we've been um, helping people with anxiety, you know, nobody's, at best CBT is, is, a, is, a, is a reassurance. It's a nice chat. You know, the techniques that, that, it, that it promotes perpetuate anxiety. And whilst people will say, you know, CBT has helped me, they can't identify why it's helped them. They'll often say, you know, well, I feel less anxious now because I'm reassured once a week. Well, feeling less anxious isn't good enough. You should feel completely anxiety free. 
And you can be, because anxiety isn't fear. Fear is a natural, expected emotion. You can't get rid of that, nor would you want to. But anxiety is never, never, never acceptable. I liken it to, to, to the fact that everybody needs to go to the toilet. Everybody needs to defecate, but nobody needs diarrhea. Diarrhea is the, is the, um, the catastrophic version of defecating. Everybody needs to go to the loo, but nobody needs diarrhea. And it's the same with the emotion of fear. Everybody needs fear because it keeps you safe. But you need appropriate fear, not inappropriate fear. Because anxiety is like brain diarrhea and that it serves up too much of the emotion of fear in one go. And it swamps your body when it's not needed. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that's kind of, in a crude sort of way, put it into perspective for you. Nobody needs, nor should they ever have anxiety, ever. Anxiety is a misused word, like stress. You know, people say, oh, I'm feeling really stressed. No, no, you've got work and life pressure. Stress is the physical illness caused by work and life pressure. And many people do feel under pressure, but they're not suffering from stress because stress is a condition. It mostly manifests as anxiety. Stress is what gives you sweaty palms, racing heart, sleeplessness, um, and all those kind of symptoms. And so stress and work pressure aren't the same in the same way as anxiety and fear aren't the same. And when I realized this in, in, the, in the depths of my anxious despair, when I was agoraphobic, I was having eight to ten panic attacks a day, I was medicated, I, was, I got puro, I was having really inappropriate thoughts and about myself and about my existence and focusing on things like religion and, and all of the things that people with puro experience. And it was overwhelming. I was literally overwhelmed. I would sit and I would just contemplate myself. And in my anxiety, I would just sit and try to make sense of all the thoughts and sensations I was experiencing. And having helped tens of thousands of people now, I mean, we've just gone past, I think about 100, I think it was 179,000 people at last count that we've helped with, our, with, with the Linda Method alone. Um, and that's not counting the retreats and that's not counting all of the people that have been to our other events. Um, what I do know now is that this is completely treatable and curable and quickly so. And this is where psychology and medicine comes unstuck because they either know this stuff and don't use it or they don't know this stuff. Either way is unacceptable. Anxiety sufferers around the world deserve to know what I've done, what I've experienced and what I've created for other people and, and understand the science that proves that what we do is the solution for anxiety disorders. It switches off the inappropriate portion of your fear and takes you back to normal fear responses. And it does so with permanence. Once you've recovered, it doesn't come back. So my story is one of hope. Because I was probably, I mean, Beth will always say that I was probably the most chronic sufferer she ever met. I don't know whether that's true. I've met some people that are pretty chronic. And, uh, but, but having said that, I don't think, it's like having a cold. You've either got a cold or you haven't. People say, I've got a bad cold. Is it a bad cold? It's just the same virus as the next cold. It just, it's, it's just that it manifests differently in you. So I don't believe there are different levels of anxiety. I think there are just levels of manifestation of people's anxiety. And I think a lot of that is to do with social conditioning. Some of it might be to do with genetics. Some of it might be to do with um, the way people handle various situations in life. Some of it might be to do with um, uh, you know, the, the environment they find themselves in, whether they work or don't work, whether they have children or don't have children, whether they're married or not married, whereabouts they live in the world, you know, what, they, what they access socially on a daily basis. I think there are so many factors that feed into this and how you respond to 
an anxiety disorder, that some people can, can literally go through life being relatively normal and behaving normally and interacting normally, and then they'll have the occasional panic attack. Other people are housebound agoraphobics with OCD and, and, um, uh, and, panic, and, and panic disorder and a puro and, and all of the manifestations that the, the anxiety, anxiety conditions can throw at them. So it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum of suffering. What matters is you've got an anxiety disorder. And if you have an anxiety disorder, regardless of how long it's been, it's been there or what medication you've taken or do take, or regardless of your social setting, you can get rid of the inappropriate portion of, your, of the inappropriate fear. Fact. Because we've never failed to do that. So be reassured in that. But back to my suffering. Okay, so once I realized what I had to do, I did it. And yet, you know, to start with, it seemed unusual. It seemed strange to be doing the things that I was doing because I'd isolated and cocooned myself so much. But it didn't produce more anxiety because actually what happens is, very quickly, is it becomes easy. It, your brain accepts it very, very quickly and, and it swaps it, it swaps the bad stuff for the good stuff because, it, you, you know, humans are made to do the stuff that makes them feel good. You know, it's why we procreate, because it feels good. The reason that we have sex is because it feels good. And the, and the reason we, it, we, it's supposed to feel good is so that we procreate, so that we create new humans. And it's the same with everything. The reason that food tastes good isn't because um, it, it isn't an accident of science. It's we, we eat the things we like to eat so that we eat, so that we survive. And it's the same with everything. You know, people who exercise do so because it makes them feel good. And it, 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 it's not if it meant, made, you, made you feel bad, you wouldn't do it. And a lot of people do feel bad when they exercise, so they don't do it. But the outcome of that is that their bodies aren't as fit as the people who do exercise. So anything that feels good is, 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 feels good for a reason. And when you start to recover, it feels good. And when it feels good, you do more of it. And so there is no fear in recovery. There is no um, exacerbated anxiety. You won't feel more frightened doing what it is that needs to be done to become anxiety disorder-free. It will feel good. Because that's the way the body and mind work. And the recovery process is just the way the body and mind works. And it's very, very simple. So my journey, which was from my first memories of anxiety, and there's a, there's a, a YouTube video that I created called My Dark Companion. And if you, if, you want to, if you want to YouTube it, you can. And it's, it's about 13 minutes long. It's a kind of poem that tells my story as a child of how I, how I behaved and how it affected me, um, which you might find interesting to, to listen to. But my, child, my childhood experiences of anxiety um, through from probably about 18 months old, my, my conscious memory of my anxiety was from then, carried me through till I was 27. And so it wasn't just, uh, and it carried me through work and jobs and college and, and all of those things. Unproductively, I have to say, with anxiety um, marring and, and undermining everything I did and guiding me to the things I did. But I was, a, I was a pretty strong character and I still did a lot of things despite the constant panic. And I wasn't frightened of being alone with my panic um, a lot of the time. So there was a point I reached at the end where I was, where I was, I was chronically fearful of being alone. But there were times when I was actually quite brave and I was, you know, 19 year old in a car in Italy on my own. Um, nobody knew where I was, what I was doing, I was working. And, and I, was, I was okay. I was in the car, I was having panic attacks. I felt horribly agoraphobic, but I still did it. And so there were times when I did cope, but there were times when I really didn't and I wouldn't leave the house. And I wrapped myself in a duvet and sat by a, by a radiator and watched TV all day. 
and Beth used to come home and, and at lunchtime she used to drive seven miles home and pick me up, take me to pee, uh, put me back by the radiator, um, give me a drink and something to eat if I felt like eating. I was chronically overweight. I was about, um, in English weight, 18 and, uh, 18 and a half stone. So that's 18 times 14 pounds, what that, whatever that comes out at. Um, incredibly overweight, incredibly unhealthy, not eating at all, really. So the weight was coming from, from medication. I was confused. I, was, uh, I wasn't sleeping. Um, when I walked uh, anywhere, my heart would race. Um, I felt like I was going to die. Then I'd have the panic attacks, which obviously further embellished my belief that I was going to die. And it just, it, it, was, it was chronic and it was awful. But as chronic as I was and as awful as I was, I now fly all over the world. I have clients in every country. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm an author. I do TV series. I've done my own TV series. I do my, all my own video uh, work. I present. I teach. I educate. And this is somebody who wouldn't stand up in front of the class at school and read a book. So, you know, the reason I do this is because, well, I guess I, I try to create inspiration in you. I want people like you to understand that you're not vulnerable. You're not weak. You're not incapable. You're not any of those things. In fact, quite the opposite. And once you repurpose your anxiety, once you repurpose those resources in your brain that cause the anxiety you will become like me, and you may not want to be like me, but you will become an incredibly resourceful, capable, brave, and um, effect, uh, effective human. And your, your, your psychology won't change. It'll become a better version of you, strong, capable. And, and you know, the, the backbone of... You know, I, I used to believe that my family thought I was weak and silly, and they did. And when I recovered, I became the backbone. I became the stronger one. I'm the one that will stand up and speak my mind and support people and help people. They don't. You know, when things happen in the family and everybody else falls to pieces, I don't. I'm there supporting. I was never like that previously. So you can be the person you want to be. And the only thing that's stopping you is inappropriate fear. So my story, I guess, has helped a lot of people, and I, and I hope to help more people. And it's, it, you know, what we're doing is growing because people recognize that what we say is common sense. And my team are there for you at any time. We've got a team of very highly qualified um, psychological, um, a psychological team who also are LAR um, practitioners. And LAR is the... Um, we, we, I've developed, over the years, obviously, I developed the Linda Method and I developed the retreat program and the workshop program and various other programs for people with anxiety. And we do a lot of corporate work and have private practice as well. But now we also have what's called LAR practitioner accreditation. So we have the world's first and the only dedicated, accredited uh, anxiety recovery practitioner model. So you can become an anxiety recovery practitioner and you can do what we do to help other people. And this isn't just a weekend course. This is a, a level four, NCFE level four course, which is a professional qualification. It makes you a professional anxiety recovery practitioner, like a, a psychotherapist or a, um, a, a physiologist or you know, somebody who's been to a college or university to learn their, their skill. And we've got that because what we do works. So 
just take solace in the fact that you will recover. Despite how you feel now, how desperate you feel, and how uh, lonely or um, isolated, um, and you may be saying, but there's no hope for me. I hear those words tens of thousands of times every year, and it only takes one step, one step, to move out of that belief and move into recovery. Anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to finish my walk now, and I'm going to uh, finish um, talking because there are other things for you to listen to, and I've got other podcasts on iTunes that you can listen to or on SoundCloud, and I hope you do take the time to listen to them because I really, really want to help you, specifically you, recover. And the reason I want you to, to recover is because I want you to help me to help other people recover. It's as simple as that. So thank you for listening to me. I hope you found what I've talked about interesting and that you really have been reassured by what I say. And I hope that you um, take action and become the person that you were born to be. The person you are, but the person who uh, has this veil of anxiety over them. So good luck and take care.